0: One, two, one, two, three, four. Like the rest of the country, we are shifting to react to the coronavirus crisis here at Regulated. This is Tony Glover, and that is Christian Bax. Bax, how are you doing?
1: I'm sheltering in place at the moment. Tony, how are you doing?
0: Uh, I'm doing all right. Of course, I'm recording this from my bunker, my home office. So, you know, while we are going to try to keep it somewhat light, at least under the circumstances, I am on day 12 of self-isolation. How long have you been locked up?
1: I've been locked up alone at my house since March 9th. So I got back from a road slash train slash plane trip that took me from Tallahassee to Baltimore to D.C. to Philly to Boston, to Miami, back to Philly, and then back to Tallahassee. And like the day I rolled back into town, uh, I got—I was pretty pretty sick. And so, you know, obviously the timing of that was not ideal, and so it, it didn't get to the point where I needed to to escalate at all. So I, I just kind of hunkered down. Uh, stayed in my house. I sent my parents actually up to North Carolina just because I want. They have a, like a house up there that's in the middle of nowhere, and so I I kind of ordered them to go hang out up at that house basically for the month of March.
0: They don't know where Tiffany Carr is.
1: <laughs> Who knew Tiffany Carr? Tiffany Carr had it right the whole time we everybody was ripping her for for you know dodging subpoenas for a month and she just went into social isolation before everybody else <laughs> thought it was a good idea
0: that's basically an inside joke for anybody in the tallahassee political process but it, it, you know if you want to google tiffany Carr, florida you'll see the background Actually, yeah. if you wanna if you want to
1: kill a couple hours um if you want to kill a couple hours of self-quarantine time, the whole Tiffany card, Miami, the Miami Herald has some great coverage of that.
0: Well, well, it, it did end with the Speaker of the Florida House serving a subpoena on her via Twitter. So it, it is a pretty good story, <laughs> which ironically I think is, is
1: may become a practical solution in the next month or two if things don't get a whole lot better.
0: Right, right. So, you know, obviously we're at our respective home offices for this recording, which has brought some challenges. I mean, I think we are really living the typical experience with Christian being sick and having those healthcare concerns that so many Americans are going through. And then me being at home with my, my three and a half year old daughter who, um, is, let's say a character during the day. <laughs> so we, we had to pull her out of school, um, because her daycare, frankly, every single dad in the parking lot um was going to the Players Tournament um in Ponte Vedra Beach that day. You know, they had their badges on. They had their outfits. Yeah. And I was like, this is a disaster. I, I can't come back up here. So yeah. we've been out for a couple of weeks with her uh, as well. So it is what it is. Yep. And then,
1: you know, professionally, we both got our own practices and I can't remember uh, a time where things moved so quickly and so slowly at the same time, right? Right. So we're going to touch on uh, the effect of coronavirus on our respective industries that that we cover professionally. And so uh, how do you want to kick it off, Tony?
0: Well, let me ask you this. If you're an operator in the cannabis space, what are you experiencing right now?
1: So a lot of the focus from news coverage is on – dispensing facilities, dispensaries. So I'll, I'll focus on that first. I think that so obviously a cannabis dispensary business is like any other business. So you, you know you have to manage your employees, you have to look out for the, the best interest of, of them and and but ultimately you are still running a business and you're running a business that that fortunately for some in um, medical states, are considered essential. So uh, if you're in, say, a state like Massachusetts and you're running a recreational dispensary, you've likely been shut down and you're holding in place for the moment. If you're in a, a state like California where you are a medical business, you're still up and running, or likely in Florida, you're you're still functioning. Um, but you're doing so with having to do all of the other precautions that you you would have to take in any other industry where you're you know you're people facing, especially it, the the type of immunocompromised or sick people that are medical marijuana patients, typically. So you're you know you're having to do um, as much hands-free and, and non-contact business as you can. Obviously, you're going to shift to delivery as much as you can if that's a possibility in your jurisdiction.
0: And there's been some conversation about that, I know, in um, other jurisdictions about turning on delivery for cannabis dispensaries just because of the times we're in. And, of course, um, we'll talk about the regulatory response to this, but regulators are moving at different uh, different speeds in terms of changing and adapting.
1: Right, because, I mean, you, you don't want your employees uh, – and patients, you know, milling around in a closed room, and and um, and you want to minimize that kind of face to face, hand to hand kind of contact, because you know a lot of medical marijuana or or recreational stores have kind of followed this open floor plan kind of like Apple Store model, um, and it's it's just kind of incongruent with with uh, where where things have gone, and so uh, there's. You know, there's a push for kind of like curbside pickup um, for 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 delivery options, and and for you know potentially limiting um, limiting the amount of people in a in a dispensary at any given time. Just anything you can do to protect patients and protect the employees of the businesses. The the thing I'm I'm watching very closely um, because the di- dispensary is kind of the the not tip of the iceberg, but it's it's the most visible kind of sexy part of the industry. But the the real impact I could see happening would be on the cultivation and manufacturing slash processing facilities. Um, So, if you are a cultivation facility and you're deemed non essential and you're essentially shuttered and you're you're, you are essentially banned from having your employees come in, I mean these are sometimes tens, hundreds of thousands of acre. I mean of of square feet. If you're an indoor facility of um, of cannabis cultivation of plants right plants have to be tended they have to be watered they have to be trimmed cannabis in particular you've got three stages of development so you've got your uh, your propagation you've got your vegetative growth and you got your flowering and each of those have different different lighting different levels of care um, but suffice it to say without going into the a lot of the details um, it's it's very hands-on and when you don't have hands-on you're Plants get sick and they can die, or they—if you're in flower, they can, you know, if you don't use it, you will lose it. They go through flower, and then it's it's you you lose it. You don't have access to that anymore. Um, And so, you and and then you move from cultivation into processing, and so you know, uh, harvesting, drying, uh, trimming, uh, and then and then going through the different iterations of turning cannabis into whatever. End product that you're going to sell to users ultimately. Um, there's there are a lot of people involved in that. There are you know I'm thinking specifically of trim rooms. Or there's lots and lots of people sitting around tables uh, doing that work. And so it's it's going to be really tricky for the industry to adapt their their business practices to keep that supply chain moving. Because if you lose your cultivation or your processing. What you do at the dispensing level doesn't matter anymore because um, right. you won't have product.
0: Right. That makes sense.
1: Um, how about you? What you, What are you seeing if, if you're in the hospitality industry right now and you're an operator? What are you going through?
0: Right. It, it varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but it strikes me that there's really three tiers of hospitality businesses right now. Um, the first tier is um, completely shut down. So if you think of a, a Vegas Strip Casino – um, or to use Florida as an example, if you were a nightclub in ebor city um or or in coral Gables you're shut down um closed there's no there's no option <laughs> to to generate revenue at this time um the, the second tier are the the radically restricted group um here in Florida all on premises dining and alcoholic beverage consumption has been suspended uh so uh, what that means is that you have thousands of restaurants across the state that are now pivoting. Some have never done takeout or delivery. Um, uh, some have certainly have done takeout or delivery, but have never delivered alcohol. And so there's different compliance things they have to look out for the first, you know, look at for the first time here. Um, and in the last tier, which there's some overlap with some of the dispensary dynamics that you mentioned, but the last tier is um, open for regular business um Folks that have not been affected by a local jurisdiction or a statewide order um, because of where they're located. But there's a reality there also because their customer base still um, sees the press conferences. They still follow the CDC on Twitter. Right. They're still listening to their aunt on Facebook who's who's freaking out about this. So they're certainly seeing a decline in business, at least in person business. And there's been some uh, conflicting stats out there. Of course, there's been a, a growth in delivery and takeout orders. So we'll see, you know, over the next few weeks what the stats, you know, how the stats shake out for the industry but it's certainly not a great time <laughs> to to be in the hospitality business and i say that as someone who you know about 97% of my practice is hospitality <laughs> or entertainment options so yeah it's it's been a hell of a week
1: yeah i mean and and not to mention and i know our focus is on operators but if you're an employee of one of those so you know you're a you you cut hair at a salon right or you're a bartender at a at a at a club um you Have no income right now, right? And so, that's that's you know, especially in in the in the bar and club scene, right? You know, you a lot of a lot of people in that industry frequent other other establishments, right? There's a there's kind of a whole subculture there, and I mean, none of those people are making any money right now, and so even the facilities that would be open, you know, you have this whole this whole swath of consumers that have basically been taken off of the board right now.
0: Yeah. And you know, if you have a favorite restaurant in your hometown, now is the time to support them. Right. Because if you ever want to have that lasagna again, um, you better order it now and, and support them through this difficult time. Right. Tip, cards. tip, tip, tip. Um, there's never been a better time to buy the t-shirt you wanted from the local craft brewery. Um, you know, shout out to the city of Tallahassee and everybody, mm-hmm. Um, that was involved in the, the hashtag rally for Tally a few days ago, where there was a, a citywide movement to support local businesses who are still open. Uber Eats has, has has transitioned and is offering contact list options. So, you know, if you haven't used Uber Eats in a few months or, or whichever delivery service you use, pick up that app because it's critically important for the hospitality industry, at least to the extent that you want your favorites to be open when we come out of this. So th- th- that's my, my word of encouragement. Well, why don't we pivot to the state government side of this? If you're a cannabis regulator, and, and maybe we'll just chat about – I think the, the, probably cannabis, alcohol, and hospitality are facing some of the same issues, so mm-hmm. we'll just jump in on this. If you're a regulator right now, what are you experiencing?
1: Well, I, I think the name of the game is triage right now. So you take care of the things that you can take care of, but you, there's probably not going to be a lot of like new business coming in the door right so if it wasn't on your plate to begin with it's it's not going to get on your plate for the next month or two unless it's you know corona related and and you have to to pivot so um, for starters you've you've probably lost the attention of your secretary or of your division director your bosses um, um, at at the moment right so cannabis in, in a lot of states it's frequently kind of this hot topic it's it's very visible the press report on it a lot lobbyists are very interested lawyers are very interested and so it's you know it's something that leadership focuses on um, but when you're dealing with the coronavirus it's it's just it's not as much of a priority and I would say especially this is another kind of unintended consequence of of the legalization movement is uh, a lot of the initial legalization Movements came through a medical program through referendum and were kind of taken over by the health department. The health department at least has a role in regulation of cannabis. Obviously, the health department has other things uh, that, that are in their prime focus right now.
0: Yeah, that that might be the understatement of the
1: right <laughs> of the year. <laughs> and right, so if you had if you had this really sticky issue that you were trying to deal with with your regulator, it, you know, it's it's just probably not going to get solved. At best, it's probably going to get a pause button for you know a month or two, while um, while the leadership at those agencies figure out what they're going to do. I mean, and and also like part of your daily functions are, are going to slow to a crawl as well. So I'm thinking specifically like cannabis regulator. And I'm, I'm sure you, you've you seen other stuff at DBPR for, for um, you know, hospitality industry. But you're not sending your inspectors out on the road right now. Um, you're not right. sending them out in planes, you know, down to Miami. Um, you, they're not staying in hotels right now. And so your facility inspections really are, are slowing to a crawl if happening at all right now. And you're almost certainly not approving new facilities for cannabis. Uh, I, I couldn't imagine that that's that's a that's a fast paced moving area of of regulation right now. Um, and so you you keep doing what you're doing. You know, obviously consumer protection is important. Um, you make sure people are doing what they should be legally. But I, I think um, I think you. Just are going to take care of and triage what you can right now. What about you? What do you, what do you think about the hospitality regulators?
0: Well, I've got to give a big shout out to the nimble regulators all across the country. And of course, you know, our hometown guys, um, secretary Bashir's and Department of Business and Professional Regulation have been doing just an incredible job adapting to these circumstances. But, you know, I've seen guidance out of Texas, out of DC, out of New York. You know, D.C. and New York's alcohol regulators aren't known for being uh, the most hospitable, let's say, <laughs> and they've been incredibly smart about adapting to these times um, thanks to the leadership of the folks at the agency and also through you know their governor or their mayor's office. Just to give you an example of how crazy this past period has been, just looking back at last week, we had on the 18th, Florida officially closed bars, pubs, and nightclubs, and there was an executive order to that effect in the statewide shift. That same day, um, the Department of Business and Professional Regulation moved to extend the renewal deadline for 30 days. So they're already reacting to this uncertainty. Um, the next day, they published a Frequently Asked Questions primer, um, a, a kind of a two-page information sheet that really added a lot of clarity, especially for craft breweries in the state. They're looking to see whether they were covered by the nightclub ban. The next day, there was a governor-ordered shutdown of the beach and for uh, large classes of businesses, including gyms and and other entertainment venues in Broward and Palm Beach counties. So that takes us up to March 20th. Later that day, the governor issued an order that suspended all on-premises alcohol and dining on a statewide basis. On top of all of that, you had different mayors in different uh, County commissions across the state, taking different levels of action, either closing beaches, closing bars, shutting down certain establishments, so there was just a mess of regulatory action, um, that happened last week and to see regulators respond to it and be helpful, helpful as hell, Christian, <laughs> to the industry, honestly, um, and help us understand what's going on. And like I said, it's, I, I'm closest to Florida and what's going on in Tallahassee, but I've seen that same thing from my colleagues, beverage lawyers across this, across the country. Um, have been sharing the same words, you know, same words about their local folks. So it's really a hell of a time to be a regulator and shout out to all of them out there, um, that are, that are killing it this week.
1: Can we talk about one thing from a regulatory perspective that I'm, I'm really interested in and a little concerned about at the same time, but the, I think, I think the difficult question, a lot of regulators are gonna have to face. Um, and, and I would lump in, you know, in addition to agency – regulators within agency, I, I would lump in uh, like county commissions, city councils into this too, is if if you don't do the hard line like Italian model, which is basically everything shuts except grocery stores and pharmacies, dealing with that essential business caveat and figuring out what businesses are essential and what businesses are. Aren't because some small businesses, if you deem it not essential and you have to shut down for a couple months, it's death. You, you've killed that business. Um, and then some some bigger businesses, especially those with you know a lot of debt right now, they're in real trouble if they can't keep operating. So obviously, they're going to be hiring lawyers. They're going to be having lobbyists that, with some frantic phone calls, trying to make sure that their business is deemed essential, right? So, what, if you are a regulator and you are trying to figure out that question, like what what's going through your head right now?
0: I think what we're seeing out there is that people are being pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, frankly, have I seen guidance from state regulators outside of Florida that looked like, uh, maybe it was pushing the, pushing the envelope to be helpful to the people in their state? Hell yeah, I have. And I'm damn glad that I saw it, frankly, because, and it's going to take some accommodations for us to get through this. So I, I, you know, I'm glad to see that folks are being accommodating. And, and one concept that I do think is interesting is, we're seeing in a bunch of different industries outside of our, our scope, cannabis, casinos, you know, cocktails, that, that type of world, you know, we're seeing FDA waive rules to get things in production quicker. Um, we're seeing local governments waive rules. You know, um, there were 7,000 liquor licenses in the state of Florida that weren't allowed to deliver alcohol. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been waived during this period of emergency. And I, I think it's going to lead to an interesting public policy debate when we get out of this. Um, because you know obviously, as a nation we 're going to be going through a lot of changed behaviors, right? You hear those stories about the depression where people you know depression era i 'm sure your grandparents hoarded food and 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 you you know used coupons and other um remnants of the depression era you know we 're going to be dealing with that in our public policy discussions, and I think people are going to get used used to cocktails to go in some of these relaxed rules at the f d a and it 'll be it 'll be interesting to see how different. A regulatory environment we have when we get out of this, whenever that is.
1: So you mentioned the FDA, and that's something that I'm watching, uh, I I would say long-term, is going to be really interesting because one of the predictions I have that's kind of big picture is I think that – I think that the compassionate use or the orphan drug programs in this country are going to be strengthened and and beefed up because what became apparent in the last month is that sometimes, you know, the FDA is is a, is extremely important in this country, but sometimes you you need a different process, right? You you have the. Specifically with compassionate use of orphan drugs, you can, you can kind of get around, you can circumvent the typical FDA drug approval process and can get things um, out to patients who are in um, a very dangerous place in, in an illness and allow them access to experimental treatment or treatment that's not approved to treat that particular illness and so i i think from a public health perspective you're going to take a hard look at the at the the structure that was built over the 20th century for you know consumer protection and figuring out ways to make that approval process much more nimble so it can react quickly because you know you, you see a lot of comparisons to how the us reacts to the coronavirus versus say how china did right um, and the, one of the biggest differences between China and the United States is, is China can be as Machiavellian as it wants, right? They can they're, they're, when their executive government decides that they want to do something, they just can do it. Whereas U.S., there are so many checks and balances between local, state, federal government, different interagency cooperations that um, that being nimble is, can can be very tricky sometimes, especially for from a public health perspective. But I I don't see that regimented, stiff structure holding up. I think, I think that there will be some structural changes in order in, in the case of an emergency, you probably have to declare an emergency so that you shift gears into this different framework. Um, but things moving a lot faster than, than they did over the last couple months.
0: Well, let me tell you, if I'm a lobbyist that's been pushing for one of these reforms for the past few years, and I'm thinking of in in a Tallahassee legislative session context, um, you know, my opposition has probably been painting whatever it was, relaxed alcohol delivery rules, um, relaxed rules for, for tap rooms at, at craft breweries, things of that nature as being a public, you know, a public safety danger, a threat to the health, safety and welfare of Floridians, um, a potential scourge allowing underage drinking. And when we get out of this, we'll see that, you know, maybe some of those ills were overhyped. Right. So if, if I'm a lobbyist, I'm chomping at the bit to get back in the legislative session and to make some of these changes permanent and to point to the three-month period or six-month period or whatever it is as evidence that it's not the end of the world if we allow it. So there's there's going to be some opportunities.
1: Right. I mean a lot – so a lot of what you just talked about is very important because those things are necessities right now. And so they're being piloted by necessity because the consumers demand it, right? So the consumers demand these, these – Ways that are different from the traditional face-to-face contact that you would have um, for a, a lot of the hospitality industry, specifically dealing with alcohol. You know that that's gotten a lot of coverage, and so. But the, the alternative is those businesses die if you don't give consumers the option to purchase these things in a safe way, where they're not um, exposed to potential infection. That. Uh, the, there are enough consumers that are that are very afraid of the coronavirus and, and don't want to be exposed that are are not going to patronize those businesses and so when when you face the choice of you you are going to kill these businesses or you're going to allow them to function outside the typical regulatory framework you you should choose the latter and um because of that necessity you, you this is almost an unprecedented level of regulatory e- experimentation and uh Fluidity, where where new ideas are being tested, because the system, if it doesn't bend, it's going to sh- break and shatter, right? Um, and so, I, I'm I'm really going to be very interested to see next session. You know, the net once once agencies kind of recoup and go through another round of rulemaking, how much of um, of this sticks? to Because you, to your point, um, there's no better there's no better you know exhibit A when you go in and talk to a policymaker, then actual bona fide evidence that this thing worked without it being a problem. right? right. Can I, and can I talk about one more thing that, um, that it, it's the deals with the third branch of government, right? Which obviously regulators have to, to deal with as well, but uh, it's impossible to separate um, what's going on in the court system right now from regulation. Cause part of regulating is, litigating is uh, is enforcing orders you know against people who are out of compliance and more and more you're seeing more and more uh, judicial systems around the country essentially cancel or postpone non-essential litigation non-essential hearings right so in Florida you know like administrative hearings are are probably gonna be postponed for a while, right? And mm-hmm. um, that goes all the way up to stuff in the Supreme Court. So something I'm following really closely is a month from now, the most the single most important case in medical marijuana, in the southeastern United States, is, is grown versus the Department of Health. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if that that thing, which we've been waiting two years to to be heard in the Florida Supreme Court, gets postponed until, you know, maybe this summer. Um, and that's that's assuming, of course, that they don't do some type of remote or like video conferencing hearing, uh, which again would be unprecedented for something like this. So, w- what do you think? I mean, if you're if you're a regulator, w- like how do how do you think that that impacts you to just basically say no no court cases for the next couple months?
0: Um, it, it takes it might take the teeth out of enforcement actions if if a savvy licensee knows that. That, that is going to be a much delayed justice, but you know, looking at it selfishly, I had one, I had one litigation matter that we were waiting for an order on, and we got that thing out before the shutdown. So <laughs> I'm just glad that I don't have any pending matters right now. That's why you hire.
1: That's why you hire a very good lawyer who understands these things uh, before you sue the state, so that something like that, that's that's a difference between a good lawyer and a great lawyer is getting getting a resolution prior to a a national crisis.
0: All right. Let's pivot to recommendations. Christian, do you have anything to help people pass the time as they're locked up with their families and their kids uh, trying to practice law or, or do whatever it is they do?
1: Well, I mean, one thing for me is that it's kind of important to to try to stay on as much of a schedule as possible. So I, I'm trying to work and read as much as I can during business hours. When business hours stop, though, um, I'm like you, uh, without a lot of evening options. Um, I've tried to, uh, I've I've kind of burned through Netflix and Amazon Prime already because I'm kind of a prolific show watcher in the evenings anyway. So one thing I really like I'd recommend is is YouTube. Some you, YouTube channels will have you know hundreds and hundreds of hours of content, and if you find a channel that's great, sometimes you can have you know three or four year uh, or more backlog of content that you can watch. So like my oh, you you're, pl-
0: you're planning for the real long term, okay? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. My favorite so my well. So, my favorite is there's a website called, I'm uh, in mean, a YouTube channel called Red Letter Media, right? And it's these, these group of guys that uh, are, they're like f- kind of film critics, but they, they have this like history of they've produced movies and they're, they're terrible. They're terrible, terrible B movies, but you get the sense that like they're making them intentionally, but they're really funny and smart guys. And so they do like, the typical YouTube thing where it's you know a couple guys that are smart and funny and they talk about interesting movies. So you know they're 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 guys and and they're kind of nerds. So they're obviously talking about stuff like Avengers or like horror movies that come out. But my favorite is they uh, they do this this content called Best of the Worst, where it's like four buddies sitting around watching like the most terrible movies you've ever seen. And and so their content is like, they intersplice video clips from these terrible movies in with, with these conversations. And so like, if you just want to turn off your brain and like kind of through osmosis, if you're by yourself, like watch uh, some guys having a really good time, like red letter media is awesome. Also, um, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, of video games too. So, you know, civilization has been getting some play total war has been getting some play. um, how about how about yourself? so I I have one question before we get into what you're doing for entertainment options. In, who controls the main TV in your house? Is it you or your daughter?
0: Well, so here's the thing. This is parenting advice, parenting 101. You have to set them up with a tablet. <laughs> <laughs> But I, it's funny you ask me that because I I have three streaming recommendations this week. One's new, one's old, and one's for kids. So let me start with the kids one on Amazon Prime. There's a show called Just Dad Magic. It's kind of a, uh, a kind of a, a magical mystery show, and it's tolerable, folks. If you if you're if you're desperate for content that you can watch or at least half watch with your kid. Um, we've run Just Add Magic to the Ground, and they have three or four seasons. My daughter's favorite season is the spin-off, Mystery City. Um, that's also my favorite, so we're aligned on that. The new show, also on Amazon Prime, is called Zero Zero Zero. It's basically an international crime thriller about a shipment of cocaine that has to go from Mexico to Italy. Um, but think of kind of a No Country for Old Men, Sicario, John le Carre vibe mixed together. Um, it kind of answers the question, what if Triple Frontier was good for my throwback pick? Um, I just want to note, I found this out this weekend with my four-year-old, that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is streaming for free, and it's rated PG. I have not seen that movie probably since 1992. It's worse than I remember, but but the kid loved it, <laughs> and it killed about 90 minutes. So good luck, folks. Christian, do you have any shout-outs?
1: I'd say, you know, shout-out to the the small business owner right now who's going through some really trying times. Amen. uh, You keep your head up, do what you got to do in order to to survive, to keep your your businesses open. And, you know, we're all going to, we'll all get through this and
0: uh, hopefully come out stronger on the other side. Amen. And and there's a lot of people, you know, working in in state capitals trying to support, Small folks, I know FRLA as an example – um, the Florida mm-hmm. Restaurant Lodging Association has been doing, you know, the Lord's work in terms of asking for waivers and exceptions to keep their folks in business, mm-hmm. and that benefits everybody that's in the hospitality game. So, yeah, shout out to the operators and shout out to the people supporting them, and shout out to you if you're ordering takeout, delivery, and tipping well. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Gift cards,
1: people <laughs> buy gift cards. You can take your you take your significant other out on a date in three months when we're all the way through this, but you keep those businesses alive with present income, cash today um so that they can keep their lights on while they uh while they're struggling. All right, Tony. Well, it's always good to hear your voice. Always good to create new content with you even under the most difficult of uh of scenarios. Um so do you want to sign us off this week?
0: Well, until next time, folks. Stay compliant or at least as compliant as possible. <laughs> good luck.